All right, welcome to Just Talk. This is uh, Essentino Lewis. This is Leslie Copeland Tune. And we are glad to be back with you today. We are talking about an issue that comes up frequently, I think, in our conversations, and that's this conversation on race. Um, We acknowledge that uh, during this season, it seems, uh, this era of uh, Trump, if we can define it in that way, that it seems that uh, race has taken on uh, a different and renewed and an increased urgency, that we're seeing some things around us that we just wanted to talk about. Uh, We come on and we talk about things that are on our hearts, and this is certainly on our hearts. And so uh, we want to talk about race in the area of in the era of Trump today. Leslie, you have any opening thoughts that you want to share? Well, I think um, one of the opening uh, observations really is now the sheets are off. Uh, we talked about and have talked about, there's been a lot of discussion about Charlottesville and right. what happened there and how watching the visual of people with Tiki torches walking on uh, the University of Virginia's campus and without sheets and yelling and chanting things um, that we would never think we would hear, you know, in 2017. And without shame, with a different kind of boldness, I think, than we've seen in a very long time. Yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, yeah. So I, I've been trying to put this into perspective for me. I'm, I'm not an old man. I'm 41 years old. But but there suddenly is a different feeling right now in the air as it relates to race relations. And But even saying that, you know, as I think about it and I think about the history of this nation, I say race relations can't be worse now than they were in times of slavery. Um, can't be worse now than it was in times of uh, civil rights and Jim Crow. That's a pretty low bar. I mean, it's, to say that it's not as bad as it was during slavery is a low bar. Although um, was there wasn't race relations. Some people were considered human and other sure, people were sure, not. Sure, so sure. that wasn't really, a, there wasn't a, a dialogue there. There wasn't a discussion. So, But certainly your point is well taken. Yeah, and I think that's what makes this, this, um, this time so challenging because there are some people who want to suggest that we live in a post-racial era where, where race is not even an issue. We live in a colorblind society now. And so with this kind of narrative out there that race should no longer be an issue that besets us, and at the same time we have systems and we have this kind of overt racism right now, it's a little bit disconcerting. Um, and I think it raised, it should raise some very significant questions for us as a nation um, as we think about who we are uh, as Americans and in the church. It should cause us to ask questions of who, who are we as Christians? What does it mean uh, to be living in this time? And how do you resist that effectively? Um, I mean, I think that's the other issue that we're seeing now. Uh, we were talking off tape about this Jamel Hill issue, and you have Colin Kaepernick. So it's almost like um, we're living in this this time when there's so much racial issue and division, and yet there isn't a comfort even talking about it, or there isn't a comfort of having people talk about it or address it in in very stark terms. And I think part of the problem is that people don't want to define things as they are. So um, it's hard to embrace that an idea that you may have or an ideology that you may have is 
essentially racist or, or at least supportive of white supremacist views. I can imagine that must be hard to accept that you're just thinking, I just think they all should go back. You know, I just think they shouldn't be in this country if they didn't come here the right way um, without kind of going a little deeper than, than what the surface is. Or I just think there's a whole bunch of people who think all black people go to college for free. I have no idea where that comes from, except maybe um, some talk radio, <laughs> Rush Limbaugh, uh, before he got out of out of out of South Carolina right, when right, the right, storm right, was coming, right. telling people to stay there. Maybe he came up with that. Like, where does that come from? You know, these ideas, these notions that people don't challenge because somehow they support some their own beliefs and ideologies or things that they've been taught about who they are um, or maybe why they didn't get something they thought they should get. Um, and and then you just have this where we are now where just things that seem very clear, clearly racist, clearly white supremacist, people are, are making excuses for those behaviors and those actions. And we can't go on like this. Right. You know, we got to come to some better understandings of of how we're going to do things and how we're going to speak truth about people saying, you know, Jews will not replace us, you know, and, and wearing swastikas and throwing bottles um, into crowds and not being challenged by it. I mean, that's one of the things that happened in Charlottesville, that the people who were identified as the white supremacist groups had bottles throw, hurling them at the counter-protesters, and the police just kind of stood by and watched that. You could never imagine seeing that in a Black Lives Matter protest, oh, no, no, right? No, Yeah, no. I think one of the, one of the challenges uh, with this whole thing is a definitional I- a challenge. I mean, it is trying to define what white supremacy is. And I don't think white supremacy is just um, feeling like all black people should go back to Africa. I I think, you know, white supremacy at its core is uh, a sense that white people are superior than every other race, that there's something inherent in whiteness that is better or inherently better than other races. And I think it works itself out in different ways and in different behaviors. Some of it looks like Charlotte. Others of it just looks like your personal feeling or personal sense that you're better uh, just because of the color of of your skin. And I think it's not just uh, white supremacy, but I think that there is black supremacists and Asian supremacists. But I I think in our current context, white supremacy is very dangerous because uh, white people tend to be the ones in places of authority. And so it works itself out in very racist systems and very racist practices. And it bears itself out in, in Charlottesville. Right. And white people are not in authority because they're better. They're in authority sometimes because they, you know, people are qualified. So I don't want to take away people's qualifications. But if you look at our history as a nation, people got here, got, you know, took over uh annihilated a people who were already here, brought some other people, you know, stole them from another country. And this is this is what happened. You know, this is not debatable. And so I can't allow you to not embrace that reality because it makes you feel badly about right. what happened. You know, you can take 
you can deal with the guilt of it. And I think the other thing is, is that I think that when you interact with people, when you get to know people, if you think my race is better than your race, that there's there's a sense of, of interpersonal relationships can, can um, dismantle some of that. But it doesn't dismantle the systems, right? So we got to deal with the systems that are in place, that the policies that are in place, the school system, the criminal justice system, we have to deal with those and how white supremacist views and ideology and racism has infiltrated those systems to cause certain impacts in our society. And we have now some policies that are being brought forth by this administration that if I were white supremacist, I would be in support of those policies. Right. That's just the reality. And right. so But 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 I think we have to acknowledge as well that it's not only white supremacists who are in agreement with those policies. I mean, those policies right. are not well, I would argue that they're not race neutral. There is an argument that can be made that they are race neutral. Um, so when we talk about issues of healthcare, when we issue talk about issue, issues of criminal justice, everyone who supports those policies is not I would not say is a racist. I would think um, they may not um, give the same level of credence to what I believe are the the racist outcomes of those policies. I, I don't have an issue seeing the fact that the war on drugs disproportionately affects black and brown people, particularly as it's being implemented in this country. But I would, at the same time, not argue that everyone that supports the war on drug is, drugs is a racist, if that makes sense to you. That does make sense to me. I would say, however, that there are people who do policy, who know, they get the research, they do the work, they know the underlying outcomes of some of the policies. Sure. And so even if I myself don't get it because I'm just Joe Schmo, you know, who doesn't follow policy, there are people who do and who do know what the outcomes are. And those people have to be held responsible. I mean, nothing happens in a vacuum. And so we can't let people off the hook by saying, oh, well, I didn't know. Oops, I didn't know. So would you argue? Would you argue then that anybody who knows that there are that there are uh, racist outcomes to some of these policies, but supports them anyway, is a racist? I would have a hard time seeing how they're not a racist. Okay, okay, yeah, I. I I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. You know, I, I asked you the question without having thought through it myself, so I'm kind of thinking out loud here. But um, it, it's, it just seems to me that, that I guess there are better ways of getting to whatever your desired outcome is if the overarching issue is going to disproportionately affect one group of people over the other. Right. If you really care about those people, then you will, uh, you'll find a different way, a different workaround. And if you care about justice, right? right. We're not talking right. about being nice right. and being right. friendly. This right. isn't a warm and fuzzy um, conversation. And I think it's often couched like, oh, those liberals, oh, those... This This is not about that, in my opinion. This is about how do you support policies that disproportionately affect certain communities over others and not say that somehow you're not... You're absolved from uh, you're the, absolved right. from the outcomes right, of that, right, right. right? And so, whether it's education, which right now some of the policies that are coming from Betsy DeVos and her 
Department of Education will disproportionately affect certain groups of people, including poor people, right? People who are not wealthy. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at the criminal justice system, what Jeff Sessions, just about everything he does will disproportionately affect minority communities. And he is excited about that. This is somebody who said, oh, I thought, I didn't think anything was wrong with the KKK until I found out they used marijuana. So I don't know how we act as if all of a sudden, this man, who is not a young person either, when his policies disproportionately affect people who he has a history of not supporting and, and having issue with, and how do we say, oh, well, he's not a racist, white supremacist, and his policies are absolved from that? Yeah. So it's interesting. So, right. So we, uh, this situation with Jamel Hill, right? right? So uh, for those of you all don't know, Jamel Hill is a, um, a commentator for ESPN. She entered into this conversation over Twitter uh, with somebody who was engaging her. And she said that Donald Trump is a white supremacist and, and that he uh, surrounds himself with white supremacists. And, and there was a hue and cry over that. ESPN um, has stated that they've counseled her and that she... Uh, and her views don't uh, reflect those of the station. And so the question for me really is kind of two on that. One is just the notion of Donald Trump being a white supremacist in general. And two, um, her ability to, to state what she believes and not suffer the blowback from that, from the station from which she works. I'm not, uh, I'm not settled yet that Donald Trump is a white supremacist. I'm not settled on it. I'm just not settled on it. Although there's evidence <laughs> <laughs> suggests from his own background, from the 70s and not renting to African-Americans, from his family history of his dad being in the KKK of, I mean, right. so, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah. there's, there's some, you could see how somebody could come to that conclusion, right? right. 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 I think that, that, okay, I'm trying to find some grace here, right? If I, because I've had family members to say, oh, in terms of undocumented immigrants who come here, particularly his, people in the Hispanic community, like, oh, well, um, you know, they're taking our jobs, right? And so my pushback was, well, what job did you want that they took, right? Right. Um, and there was no response to that. Right. So that's number one. And then I said, you know, I think people are trying to find a better life for their families. Right. And so I can, I can, I'm not Hispanic. I didn't, you know, I got here a different way. But I can empathize. I can understand Absolutely. you can't find work. You can't find food. You got to do something, Absolutely. right? So you have to figure out how you're going to care for your family. Desperate situation, right? right. And so, so I can, I get that. Right. And I think people can get that if they're asked, the, if those notions are challenged, that they're just coming to take our jobs. Right. But I think but I think, again, I cannot I almost can't believe that I'm, I'm arguing uh, this side. I'm not necessarily arguing it, but I, I do want to acknowledge it because I do think that there is a whole group of people who 
are not racist, but are hyper-nationalist, who would say, you know what, we want to protect the borders of this country, we want to protect the resources that are here. You know, when we have people coming across the borders who are undocumented, there is an impact. We can't act like there's no impact on the U.S., right? There are some good impacts, perhaps. I I would agree that there are. are. I would agree that there are. But people would argue that there are some negative consequences as well. And so I I just can't, and I can't make the argument that because policies like DACA, right, because policies um, that allow for the possibility of immigration that is, that is not according to the laws of the U.S., that somehow that those people are all racist because they support tighter borders or support deporting persons who are not here in a doc- documented fashion. Okay. So- even though, let me just, even though I believe that to do so is completely unempathetic and completely inhumane. Like I'm all, I'm and all there. How uh, and un-Christian. Say, let's th- and un-Christian. Send them back. And un-Christian. And un-Christian. I'm, I'm all there on the human side of this. And I'm there on the legal side of it too. I support DACA support, but, I, but I'm not willing to ascribe to those who don't support those policies, racist or mal- malicious intent. So- we can give that perhaps another uh, title of some sort. I don't, I don't know what we call it. I don't know what we say about it. But I do know that the impact of that, the conversation about it, is not one that seems to welcome people or that one that seems to challenge, have an issue with where people come from, right? So there's no, and, and a friend of mine had dual um, citizenship between a Caribbean country and Canada. Okay. I'm not going to name the country, but <laughs> Caribbean country and Canada. She filed her papers through Canada because she knew that it would take less time Absolutely. coming to Canada than coming from. There, so there's that. There's a problem yeah, with that. There, there are systemic problems. There's systemic there's no problems. Question. There's also problems with people who don't want to be held responsible for slavery or Jim Crow or anything that their foremothers, forefathers, ancestors did, right, in building this country. They don't want to be held accountable for those things, but want to hold these children who were brought here average age of six, what's a six-year-old going to say, oh, no, I, we shouldn't cross this border illegally? They grew up in this country. They, so we're talking about the deferred action right. you know, for childhood arrivals. Why would we be trying to send back or even threaten and put into upheaval 800,000 800, people? I, I agree with you. I, I mean, I honestly, I really do. I agree I with you I know you, you agree, but what I'm saying is how is it that it's not, I, I'm challenged by trying to extend grace to people who won't accept responsibility for their parents, but want other people who don't look like them to accept responsibilities for something their parents But does that make done. them racist I, it or can white make them, supremacist? Well, what does it make them? What does I it get, make I mean, them? It might make them uninformed. It might make them uh, not self-aware. It may make them... Um, ignorant. It may make them a whole host of things, but I guess the the question is, does it make them racist? And I'm and I'm not quite there. So I guess perhaps um, 
let's take that. If you, because these are viewpoints that have been expressed by the administration, right? And some of these viewpoints were campaign promises Mm -hmm. that they're trying to fulfill, okay? Mm -hmm. So if you take that by itself, then you can say, okay, well, maybe they're uninformed, maybe they're ignorant, whatever. But when you take that, when you take um, no longer supporting the policing initiatives that the previous administration put into place after Baltimore, after some of the unarmed, you know, unarmed Mm -hmm. black Mm -hmm. people Mm -hmm. being killed by police, some of the changes there with documentation about uh, Ferguson police harassing um, the citizens there, black citizens, about Baltimore and the, the history of problems in the Baltimore police. So, you know, there's evidence, right? So they've they've rolled back that. They were supporting um, the Texas I, voter ID law being overturned, rolled back on that, pulled back on that, pulled back on no more uh, for-profit prisons. All of these things impact African-American and other minority communities, right? right, right? right. Disproportionately, right. clear evidence. Right. So, and then Betsy DeVos in the Department of Education, some of what she's dismantling there. So you could take one thing and say, okay, maybe it's isolated. But when everything disproportionately affects black and brown people, how do you just, you just, yeah. what do you say that is? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I say that it's racist policies, for sure. I, I, there's no question to me that that um, that there's a, there are, to me, in my opinion, that there are large swaths of this nation that are supporting policies that are completely racist and have racist outcomes, right? But again, like I, I, I wonder if it's possible, and again, I'm wondering out loud, I just wonder if it's possible to support racist policies and not be a racist yourself. How? I mean, I, 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 again, I'm wondering it out loud. I, I think... Um, I, I think, think it's possible to be selfish. I think I think you can be selfish and uh, and support racist policies. I think the statement I think the statement they're coming to take our jobs is a selfish statement. But I'm not positive that it's a racist statement. Well, who's they? Who? Well, I think okay. So they I think if you say people. I think if you say if somebody says you know what you know illegal immigrants from wherever, but typically we know that people when they're talking about illegal immigration are not talking about the illegal immigrant that comes from you know the Eastern Bloc, right? Right. They're talking about Mexicans and people coming from Central America and so Central and South America. And so, um, but I I think it's possible to say. Uh, you know what? They're coming and taking our jobs, and you know, and, and and so we should close the border down. And that'd be a very selfish statement. But I'm not convinced it's racist. I'm not convinced it's racist. But if it has racist outcomes, then you have some responsibility. I agree with I that. I think if you have a strong opinion, so much so that you vote based on that opinion, you have a responsibility to know what your opinions lead to, I agree what with the that. outcomes are of I your opinion. So I can't absolve you completely of. I can extend grace, like, oh, did you realize that this means that this is what the impacts that will have on people? Mm-hmm. I could I could say we could have that conversation, but I don't know how adults can be absolved of having uninformed opinions. Yeah, I'm I'm not talking about absolving them. 
Um, I, I'm just talking, because I think, and the reason why this is important, I'm, even, even as I'm talking, I'm thinking, well, why is this even important? Like, why is it important to draw the distinction? And I think the reason, part of, for me, the reason why it's important to draw the distinction, distinction is because I think these labels serve as an impediment to fruitful conversation around race, right? I think when we charge people with being racist because they support policies that may have racist outcomes, I think it's, it serves as a hindrance in that conversation because they always say, well, I'm not racist, and they very well may not be racist, but then it stops us. It stops us from getting to the next step. Then it, if you're not intending to be racist, then what, how do you support these policies that have such clearly disproportionate impact on black and brown people? And so I think, the, I think the labels are important because as soon as we drop the white supremacist bomb or as soon as we drop the racist bomb, it, like, it throws a wet blanket over the entire conversation. And I think if we're going to speak about people being racist or white supremacist, we've got to make sure that we're being accurate about that. And so that's my, only, that's my only challenge. That's the challenge that I often encounter as I try to work myself through these issues of race. I mean, I think language is certainly important. Yeah. And there is a way that there's certain ways that you can totally shut down conversation, yeah, yeah, right? Like, yeah, okay, conversation. Yeah. Because over. some people are not even going to listen to this podcast because of whatever we title it. So yeah. we've got to be careful about how we title it or else somebody's just not even going to click on it. Right. right. I would agree with that. I guess I, I wonder, and maybe it's a struggle with um, truth telling, right? How, as Christians, are we truth tellers? How do we help people to hear and to know truth and to receive it and then to act on it? So I, I can say that I think that is a challenge in and of itself. And I guess I don't go around like you're a racist. Yeah, you're yeah, a racist, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not racist, suggesting that. I'm not suggesting so, that. Or you're, you know, when I see it, though, I it's it's hard not to say mm, that's you know. Right. Um, and when, as you said, you know, when you can and when you can lay it out, and it's not one isolated incident or one isolated policy, but it is you know one after the other after the other after the other after the other. Yeah. It seems to draw its it create its own narrative that the only person that could support all of this um, has to harbor this in their heart. Has sure. to have something in their heart right. that says you know, these people deserve this and I and, you know, and these other people deserve something quite different as opposed to having even, I mean, if you even want to look at what it means to be American, Mm -hmm. are we saying some Americans deserve some things and other Americans deserve other things? You know, some Americans get to speak their minds and to march with tiki torches and to say Jews will not replace us. And others, if you say Black Lives Matter, you're put on a terrorist watch list. That's right. You know, and so one is free speech, the other is terrorist. Terrorism, um, and that's not me making. That's facts, Absolutely. you know. That's not alternate alternative facts or fake. That's just what it is and how it is. And so, at some point, I think as Christians, we've got to challenge these things. We have a responsibility, I think, to our neighbor, to other people, to at least look at go a little deeper, to at least question all of us. We've got a question. We This is, I think, biblical. We question our motivations. We question our heart. We question kind of, you know, are, is this in line with what I say I believe? Is this in line with teachings, biblical teachings? And I know there's some people who will 
distort some of the teachings, but what Jesus said, you know, about who we are and how we treat other people, I think makes it pretty clear um, that some of these policies we have to be challenged by how they will impact um, different communities. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. just have to be challenged by that. Yeah, I guess that leads to another conversation, and that is how how does that challenge happen? And and do we really, as a nation, have a tolerance for people challenging these systems and these kind of racist policies that are that are coming out? Um, and this is another issue that. I've struggled with because people, when when Colin Kaepernick first started doing his silent protest, there were all these kind of T-shirts being made. You know, you know, we kneel and you don't like it. We we march and you don't like it. We burn stuff up and you don't like it. It seems to me that there is no acceptable way of protesting now. The nation, there is no acceptable way. So, so again, well, Jamel, unless you're a white supremacist and you're a Nazi, <laughs> and then you can you can do what you want to do, basically. Yeah, I mean, you can't tweet you about it without. Night. You can't tweet about it. You can't post about it. You can't write about it without somehow suffering some backlash. You know, there was the, you know, we've maybe seen the story of the uh, the transgendered um, model who uh, got the contract from, I can't remember what the major, it was a major cosmetics company, I think, or, or clothing line. And when the statement was made, she was fired immediately, right? That was recently. And so I don't know what we're supposed to do as a nation if we can't even talk about these issues without having such great heartburn over it. Right. And I think, you know, we have to come to grips. We really, really do. And I think this is some of the work that as an African-American, I can't do, you can't do, but that white people in this country have to do is coming to grips with how this nation formed, how it got started, what happened to the Native Americans. What happened um, during the slave trade? It was horrific. And it's not, it's not to say that, I'm not saying come to grips in terms of, you know, having this massive guilt or whatever, because I think that, I feel like the guilt is just not helpful. Um, But okay, if this is how we started, we got free labor, we took land that wasn't ours, we did all the, you know, this this is fact, this is what happened, then what does that mean for us as we move forward as a nation? How do we, you know, live up to some of the principles that are in the Constitution that people from every background can embrace? Freedom, liberty, all of that. How do we live up to that? But we can't act as if... We just showed up here at on at 2017 that everybody or wherever you are in your life, that everybody made it on their own, right. everybody pulled themselves up by their bootstraps, everybody got the same chance, that everybody is treated the same. Because if you get pulled over by a, a, a police officer, they're very well may be a different outcome than if somebody who is white has white skin and gets pulled over for the very same thing. That is where we are. And so I feel like I'm not if 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 we don't want to deal with the labels, can we deal with the issues? You know, let's if we can dismantle the labels and just deal with the issues, what are we going to do about that? And are you okay with it? Is is the fact that you're silent on it at the end of the day because there's a part of you that's okay with it. Maybe you just don't know what to do, but there's lots of different people who are, 
you know, in the game trying to figure out what to do. Are you in those conversations? Are you trying to plug into those conversations? What are you doing? Because where we are right now, I think you're right. It's a, it, it, the feeling is different because it's a, it almost feels like, first of all, there's, I feel like there's some danger. Was it Rhode Island or Maine? Where, New Hampshire. What's that? Where the young boy was was lynched. I mean, oh, they were yeah, trying yeah, to yeah, lynch. Yeah, I mean, yeah, thank yeah, God he's yeah, okay. Yeah. But that there's some youth who are seeing all this right. and thinking, oh, won't it be fun to hang a black kid? Right. No, that's crazy, right? right. That's that's evil. Right. You know, you're right. trying you're trying to take this child's life. We've got to deal with this. Yeah. We can't keep acting like it's going to go away on its own. That the people who keep bringing it up are the ones who are bad, and you know that you know. Um, Charlottesville is not going to happen again now. In Boston, obviously, the 35 people who showed up for right. uh, as white supremacists right. were drowned out right. by the 18,000 right. uh, counter-protesters. And thank God for that. I mean, right. that's encouraging. Right. But there's a lot more work to do. Right. And, you know, if you're not a racist, if you're not in support of the white supremacists, what are you doing? Right. To What are you doing? Where's your... Where's your skin in the game, you know? Yeah, no, I, I think that's all, I think that's all uh, right. Uh, you know, we've done our best to talk about, you know, race relations, and we'll, we'll continue this conversation for sure. Uh, we might even continue it on, on the next show, but uh, if you have anything that you have heard that you want to uh, discuss, please uh, feel free to hit us up on justtalkshow at uh, gmail.com. It's been good to be with you. I'm Essentino Lewis. I'm Leslie Copeland, too. And uh, this is Just Talk. Thanks for being with us. Take care. Just talk, just talk. Just talk, just talk. Here we go. Just talk, just talk, just talk about it. Go tell somebody. Just talk, just talk.